Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Joel wants him. Wants to come on up here with me. Oh, Joel is here with his lovely wife Shannon, who's got a little one asleep. So I won't make you like come come up here. Um, uh, as as uh, as Katie was just talking about advance, uh, advance is a part of a uh, we're we're part of the advance uh, network. It's about strengthening, multiplying, planting churches. And many of you know that we were commissioned out of uh, Southlands, uh, Southlands Brea. We, at one, once upon a time, were Southlands Fullerton and, and uh, have a really great relationship with, uh, with, with Southlands, of which uh, Joel here is one of the elders at, uh, at Southlands. Been, uh, been an elder for seven years, right? That's where you're just going on seven, yeah. Going on seven yeah. and on staff for, for five. And Shannon helps with the, leads the, the charge with the kids' ministry. Over there, and uh, part of uh, part of what we're doing this morning, Nick is with them, helping to install new elders, and uh, and we we get to steal Joel for uh, for for a morning uh, to continue in our uh, to continue in our Galatians series. So I'm just going to pray for him, and I'm going to let him let him go. Father, thank you for this man. Thank you for the preparation that he's done. Thank you for um, just the partnership in the gospel. Thank you for the locking of arms between churches. Thank you for your kingdom. Thank you for the Capital C Church. Uh, Lord, bless uh, Southlands Brea this morning, and uh, bless this man as he teaches us. In your name, Jesus, amen. Amen. Well, good morning, Mercy Commons. It is, uh, it is good to be with you. I am, uh, as Sean said, my name is Joel, and uh, I am just really delighted to be here with you this morning. It feels like a real honor and a real privilege. I do want to make one additional plug for the advanced gathering um, I can't help it. You know, Southlands Brea is hosting that, and we would love to have you join us. That Wednesday night will be Sam Albury teaching and preaching, um, and there will also be uh, a little-known worship leader, Matt Redman, who will be leading worship for us that evening. So if you're a worship uh, aficionado and you love worship, come on out and worship with us that night. If you love the theology and those big, deep questions, Sam Albury will help tackle those for us. Um, it should just be an incredible evening together. Um, as a number, I think we have probably close to 150 to 200 uh, men and women from around North America who are flying out to be a part of that. So if you can make it Wednesday night, join us. If you can make the whole conference, sign up. It will be well worth it. Uh, it will cost you. That is true. But it will be well worth it. Uh, and we would love to host you uh, for that time. Um, I do want to say it is just a, it's a real honor and a real privilege to be here this morning. Um, in, in, yeah, I, I've been around Southlands 14 years now, and that time has gone quite quickly. Um, but I can remember when Southlands began to talk about what would it look like to plant a church or a congregation into Fullerton. Uh, and I have watched on, not from afar, from 15 minutes up the road, uh, but I've watched on with just real joy um, and real gratitude in my heart for what God has done in and through this church over the years. Um, and even in the last few years, to just watch you continue to love Jesus and to love your city and to love the people of Fullerton. Um, has just been a real gift. Uh, and so I really do feel honored to be here today. I feel honored to play some small, uh, insignificant role in the grand scheme of things and what God's doing here at Mercy Commons. Um, and I trust that there are many, many incredible years of fruitful ministry for this church in this city um, to come. So thanks for having me. It does feel in many ways like a bit of a family reunion. Um, I, I showed up this morning and I, I saw lots of familiar and friendly faces um, people that Shannon and I were in life group with over a decade ago. 
uh, people that we've been on eldership with and people we've served with and people we've gone to Thailand with and people I've worked with at Biola and uh, just so many friendly faces. So uh, that's a gift. It's a gift to be able to, to show up here and to feel like family and to feel like even though we aren't here every Sunday that when we show up, that because of Jesus and because of his kindness to us and how he welcomes us into family, that this can feel like family. And so just excited to be here. I know you have been in this new series, Scandalous, for a couple weeks now, uh, in the book of Galatians. Uh, and I know that for a couple of reasons. One, primarily because when Nick asked me to preach, he told me what series you were going through. Um, so that, that's the first reason I know, right? The second reason, though, is that I've actually been following along with you, and I've been listening to the podcast every week, uh, just to hear kind of what's been going on in this in the series. Um, and it has been really fun and really life-giving uh, to hear Nick and, and then last week Karin unpack these first couple chapters of Galatians uh, and to look at the depth and the riches of this book. Um, and I'm excited to, to jump into that. And this morning we're going to be in Galatians chapter 3. And we're looking at a scandalous faith this morning. And I want us to understand that actually the, the core premise of faith is by nature scandalous. It is a scandalous thing to think that we are saved and justified by faith not by works. And so that's the scandalous nature of the gospel that I want us to, to examine today and to look at. And before we jump into the text and before we go any further, I want to just ask that you would just join me. I'm going to pray for us and just pray that God helps us this morning as we look at his word, that he would uh, open our eyes to see him. Jesus, it is a gift to be here in your presence to get today, God. It's a gift to be here with family, uh, family that, uh, friends that feel like family. Um, and to, to be united in your body. Um, that is a gift, God, that you welcome us in, that you connect us, um, and that we are connected to a broader body that, that we can worship together and rejoice together and celebrate who you are together, God. And this morning, Jesus, I ask that you would give us eyes to see you in your word, that you would open our ears to hear you a little bit more this morning, Jesus. And Holy Spirit, I, I pray and I ask that you would empower us uh, to have soft hearts, that you would soften our hearts by your spirit, um, that we would receive your word, and that we would be empowered to walk in boldness and to respond to the truth of your word, God. We love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So before we dive into the text, and we will get into the text, um, I want to just take a moment to kind of let you in on how I want to approach the text this morning. I want to give you a little bit of a heads up on what my uh, perspective on this text is this morning and how I want us to approach it. And I think there are a number of ways that we can approach Scripture. Some of them can be helpful and good. Some of them can be unhelpful and can be unbiblical or, or just can lead us astray, right? And I think there are a couple ways that we commonly approach Scripture, and I include myself in this, so I'm not I'm not saying that you're doing something that I'm not, but I think the first way that we pretty regularly approach Scripture is we zoom in quite a bit, right? We open up our Bibles and we go, okay, I'm going to read the Word today, and we zoom in, and we go, okay, Matthew 13, the parable of and we, we get really narrow as we look at Scripture. And what we tend to do when we get too narrow, right, is we pluck out little passages or little truths that feel good to us, and we go, oh, I like that one. I'm going to put that one up on my wall. Oh, I like that one. I'm going to put that one up on my, on my refrigerator. I like that one. I'm going to write that one on my bathroom mirror. Right? I'm not, if you do that, that's great. So please hear me on that. Right? I'm not. <laughs> Some of you have had like a passage in your bathroom mirror for decades. and you're, That is great. Okay, so hear me on that, right? 
But what we can do is it can become unhelpful because we can actually lose sight of the broader context of a passage, and we can lose sight of what the Scripture is actually trying to tell us. And this happens all the time, right? We see this, right? I think one of these verses that this happens with a lot is Philippians 4.13, right? You see that, right? The, the, the football players, they're putting their helmets on, they got the eye black, and it's Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That passage has nothing to do with their collegiate or professional football career. It has nothing to do with their ability to make a play, right? But they, they go, oh, I like that. I can do all things through Christ, so I, I'm going to write that on my eye black, right? In a more, in a more kind of to bring that a little closer home, we do that in our, own, in our own household quite regularly. My wife, Shannon, will ask me, hey, Joel, can you take out the trash? And I will often respond, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, <laughs> right? And Shannon knows that when I respond, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, it is like a snarky response, meaning I do not want to take the trash out, but I guess I will, right? And so she'll say, can you take out the trash? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Yes, I can do it. That's not what that verse is about. That verse has no bearing on whether or not I can take the trash out of our house. But we just like, we kind of, take these little truths and we go, oh, I like that one. I'm going to cling to that one. And that can be really unhelpful, right? The second way that we can approach this and approach Scripture is that we can actually zoom out quite a bit, almost too far, where we zoom out and we go, I want to understand the context and the nuance and the historical uh, scenarios and the cultural realities of the, the early Christian church and the ancient Near East. And so we want to zoom out where we actually reduce this to just an academic text, where the Bible and Scripture just become something that we're trying to wrestle with in our minds, and it's simply an intellectual pursuit. I know this temptation well. I love Bible University, but I spent 13 years of my life there, and there is this temptation that you, I, I just, I need to know a little bit more, just a little bit more, and we zoom out so far that we begin to wrestle with this in an academic way, but we actually fail to let it change the way we live. And so Scripture becomes something that we understand, but it does not become something that actually changes us. And I want to propose that that's actually not the purpose of Scripture. And I want to propose that by using Scripture to show you that. Right? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 says this, that all Scripture is breathed out by God. Right? So all Scripture comes from God. And it's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for, for correction, and for training in righteousness. That the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Right? So all scripture is from God, and it's profitable. Right? That scripture actually benefits us when we get into it. When we dive into scripture, it is beneficial for us. And why is it beneficial? for teaching, for reproof, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. But it doesn't stop there. That the person of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. This book, Scripture should actually change the way that we live. It should equip us to walk in the good works that God has called us to. And so I want to say that if we zoom out too far and we get too hung up, up on the context and the historical significance of this moment or that moment, we can actually fail to allow Scripture to move us and to move us forward. And so this morning, I'm going to ask that we do two things, and I'm going to attempt to approach this passage from the perspective of doing two things. First, that we would understand the context of Galatians chapter 3. 
that we would actually look at the history and look at the context of this passage so that we can understand and see the biblical truths at play. And then I want to take those biblical truths and say, how are we doing with them? I want those biblical truths to become a mirror that we get ready in front of, right? I think most of us have mirrors in our home, right? And you stand in front of that mirror probably quite often. Sometimes you like what you see. Other times you don't, right? I know we're still close to New Year. Some of us stood in front of the mirror and said, I don't like this. Time for some resolutions as we start the new year, right? So you don't always like what you see in the mirror. But the mirror actually helps you to get ready. It helps you to, to adjust yourself, right? When your shirt's not straight, it helps you, let, it lets you know. When your hair is messed up, you can correct that. When your hair is too long and you need a haircut, it lets you know, oh, that doesn't look great. I should get my haircut, right? The mirror just is a tool. It allows us to actually align our lives. And I want to say that actually the biblical truths in Galatians 3 are kind of a mirror for us this morning. That at the end, I want us to stand in front of them and go, how are we doing? Does our life look like this? Have we gotten ready and aligned our lives in light of the truth of God's word? So that's my goal this morning. That's my hope this morning is that we would unpack Galatians 3 and that we would be encouraged in this scandalous faith that we call our own. Thankfully, as I've been listening to the podcast, Karn and Nick have actually already done a good amount of unpacking the context. So I want to just remind us of where we've been, remind us of what Karn helped unpack at the end of Galatians 2, and then we'll dive into the text. So Last week, Karin talked about, uh, in Galatians 2, this moment where Paul talks about his confrontation with Peter. Do you remember that? All right, so Paul confronts Peter to his face. And the reason that he's confronted Peter is because Peter had had this vision from God where God had said, hey, don't call what I have made clean unclean. And Peter is called by Cornelius. He goes to Cornelius' house. And Cornelius and his household are saved. Gentiles receive the gospel. They're saved and they're filled with the Spirit. And Peter goes, oh my goodness, this is this, this revolutionary, this new moment for him where he goes, the, the gospel is going to the Gentiles. But then he goes back to Jerusalem, right? And there's this circumcision party that's there in Jerusalem. And one caveat, that is a group of people, that is not an event. Okay, those are two very different things. Um, so this is a group of people that are influential, right? Um, both are somewhat scary, but um, this is a group of people that are, that are influential, these Judaizers. And they're saying, no, no, if the Gentiles are going to receive the gospel, if they're going to follow Jesus, they must also be circumcised. They must actually walk in some of the, the, the requirements of the law. And Peter begins to kind of shrink back, and he begins to add these extras to the gospel. And so Paul confronts him and goes, Peter, what are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why are you living this way? You've actually moved on from the gospel. You've added these extra pieces. And so he confronts him to his face. Then, it, then Paul moves on at the end of chapter 2, and he begins to say and to remind the Galatians that we are, in fact, saved by faith, not by works. And if you look at chapter 2, we're not going to go into it right now because Karin did a great job last week. At the end of the passage, at the end of the chapter there, Paul is using the word I a lot. I, I, I. He's talking about himself in many ways. In some ways, he's almost making a case to the Galatians. Listen, you have to be saved by faith because even I needed it. Right? The, the, the chief Jew of all Jews, right? The one who had followed the law and had been raised uh, as a good Jew who had studied the law and was so fervent about his faith that he persecuted Christians. Even he needed to be saved by faith. The law was not sufficient. 
And so he's saying, I, I, I. And then here at the beginning of chapter 3, he begins to turn his gaze toward the Galatians. And he starts to say, you, quite a bit. And so we're going to jump into Galatians chapter 3 and verse 1. And we're going to read verses 1 to 14, but we're going to take it in a little bit of uh, a couple different chunks. And so we're going to read verses 1 to 6. And it should be up on the screen. I'm reading from the ESV, where Paul says, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So we see Paul has turned his gaze kind of from I, 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 and now he's saying you. And he begins, verse 1, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? That is not the way you want to be greeted, right? If, if a friend of yours texted you, let alone a leader, someone that you look up to, the person who planted this church who has great concern for your spiritual well-being, if they texted you and you see this, if I got a text that says, oh, foolish Joel, I'd be like, this is not good. Right? I would not feel encouraged off the, off the beginning of this, this moment, right? Who has bewitched you? Right? It's not a term that I think we use all that often. We don't think about the idea of being bewitched. Right? But Paul, Paul's saying, like, who's taking control of you? Who have you allowed to move you away from the truth of the gospel? Paul is not being overly kind here. This is not Paul in a gentle, kind, pastoral pep talk. Right? This is not him going like, hey, Galatians, it's hard out there. I know it's hard out there. And I know it's easy to be swayed, and I know. No, no, no. Paul's saying, what are you doing? Like, why would you allow yourselves to be swayed in this way? Why would you allow people to come in and bewitch you? Who's taking control of you, and why have you allowed them to do this? Paul, in many ways, is confronting the Galatians here similarly to how he confronted Peter. Right? It's almost like if you follow the flow of the Galatians 2 into chapter 3, he's going, hey, I confronted Peter because he had lost sight. Right? He began to add the circumcision to the gospel. And he says, let me remind you that actually we are saved by faith alone, not by works. And now let me confront you similarly to how I confronted Peter. You likewise have allowed someone to bewitch you and to move you on from how you've begun. And he's reminding them in these first six verses that they actually begun their journey of following Jesus by faith, not by works. Right? He asked them in verse 2, I will, let me ask you this only. When someone says that, it's probably an important question, right? Let me ask you this only. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? He wants the Galatians to, to remember that they didn't receive the Spirit because they had done so well. They didn't receive the Spirit because they had kept the law so faithfully. They received the Spirit because they heard the gospel of Jesus and they responded with faith. 
he's trying to help them understand that faith is their foundation. Faith is the very foundation of all of this. And this is true for you and I today, right? We're no different than the Galatians in this way. Faith is our foundation. It's how we began. None of us actually discovered Jesus because we were so holy. None of us discovered the goodness of the gospel because we were so worthy. It's not that we had proved ourselves and God looked down and said, Oh, Joel, what a superstar. I need him on my team. That's not what happened, right? We like to think that. We like to feel that way about ourselves. Like, man, I'm really good. God probably really wanted me on his team. But God looked down on me and didn't say, oh, Joel, what a superstar. He looked down on me and said, oh, Joel, you are in desperate need of a savior. You can't help yourself. You can't even figure out which way is up. And actually, I discovered the gospel not by works, but by faith. That's how we began. It's our foundation. And so he's wanting to remind the Galatians, actually, you started this journey of following Jesus by faith. Why would you now believe that you're going to move back towards the law and justify yourself by your works? Right? We have to understand this is a little bit sometimes difficult for us to wrap our minds around because we don't live in in the law, right? The Jewish law, the old covenant. We don't necessarily understand that from firsthand experience. But for these believers who've come out of the Jewish background, they've now chosen to follow Jesus. And the Galatian church was made up of both Jews and Gentiles. These Jewish believers, their whole lives would have been dictated by the law. It's all they would have known. They would have almost had no way but to go back to it because it has shaped everything they do. From the time they were just children, they were raised up under the law, being taught the Torah, right, being being taught what it means to be a Jew. And they would have known this. It would have, become, it would have become a habit for them that actually all of life functions under the law. All of society, their relationships, what they could or couldn't do, what they could or couldn't wear, all of that was shaped by the law. And so they find themselves going, okay, that did not save us, but the gospel of Jesus did, and we responded by faith, but now we're going back to what we once knew. And we're going back to that old way where we thought we could justify ourselves. But Paul isn't just saying it's their foundation. right? He's not saying just that faith is the foundation for these individual believers. He's actually connecting this even further back to Abram. right? So in verse 6 he says, Just as Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. right? So he's referencing back. He's actually in some way, he's referencing, we see the same sort of language used in, in Hebrews 11. But he's referencing back to Genesis chapter 12. At Southlands, we're currently in a series on Genesis. We have been for probably five or six months now. We have been talking a lot about Abraham. Um, And a few weeks ago, we looked at Genesis chapter 12. And in this moment, in Genesis chapter 12, God calls Abram. At that point, Abram, he becomes Abraham. God later renames him. So God calls Abram. And he says, Go. Him and his family, his wife Sarai and his extended family, they were living in Haran. And God calls him and says, go, follow me, and I'll lead you to a land that I will give you. And he says, leave your family and your possessions and all these things and, and go with me. He says, I will make your name great. I will bless you and I will make you a great nation. And I will bless all nations on earth through you. Right? It's this Abraham, what we refer to as the Abrahamic covenant or the Abrahamic blessing of Genesis chapter 12. And what Paul is doing, he's saying, no, 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 
Galatians, don't just look back to yourselves how you've begun. Look back to Abraham, the father of our faith. How did he begin? And the way that he began was not by the works of the law. He began by faith in God. God called him and he responded with faith. And that is why it's credited to him as righteousness, because he responded in faith. And so Paul is saying, it's not just you. It's not just your individual journey with Jesus that is all about faith. Actually, from the very beginning, when God called out his people, it has always been that he has wanted his people to respond to him by faith. So Paul carries on in verse 7. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Right, so he's already established in the first six verses, Galatians, remember, that faith is your foundation. It's the foundation of of the, the Jewish faith and the Christian faith actually goes back to Abraham's moment of faith. And now he's saying that if you want to be a part of the fulfillment of that promise, This promise here that we see in verse 8 repeated, in you shall all the nations be blessed. If you want to be a part of that, if you want to be accounted among the people of God, the sons of Abraham, you're going to do that by faith. right? So he's saying it's not just your foundation, but it's also the fulfillment of the promise. If you want to experience the fulfillment of the promise that was given to Abraham, you're only going to experience that by faith. You're not going to do enough good works. You're not going to justify yourself by works. No, no, you have to be someone who approaches God with faith. And this phrase that those, uh, it's those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. I think, again, in some ways, when, when we look at things about family and the sons of, of a family in, in our current day and age, we don't necessarily understand what family meant in the ancient Near East. In the ancient Near East, where Abram, you know, where he was living thousands of years ago, family was everything. Family was how you understood who you were. It was how you understood how you fit in society. It was how you understood your purpose. It was oftentimes how you understood your career and what opportunities you may have or not have. Family was central to what it meant to to be a person, was your connection to family. And here... We're saying, no, 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 if you want to be counted among the sons and daughters of Abraham, you're going to approach God with faith. And that family is going to be where you find your purpose and your identity and your understanding of how things work and how you're supposed to live these things out. Actually, you're being welcomed into the people of God if you approach by faith. And so, again, he wants them to know, first, that faith is their foundation. Second, that faith is the fulfillment of the promise. And then third, he kind of gets to the where the rubber meets the road. And here he's kind of making an appeal as to why faith has to be the answer. And we pick up in verse 10. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. The righteous shall live by faith. Quoting back to Habakkuk 2. But the law is not of faith, rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Right? So what he's saying here right, is the law is not an act of faith. The law is a set of rules. And we need to understand the purpose of the law for the Jewish people 
was actually always designed to not justify them, but it was designed to illuminate their need for a savior. The law was, not, was never intended to make them good enough to enter into the kingdom of God. It was always intended to reveal that they needed a savior who could actually mediate for them. And so Paul's saying, listen, the law doesn't justify you. It never has, right? If you live under the law, you live under a curse. And then he says in verse 13, some of what I believe are the most beautiful words in all of Scripture. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So Paul has already said, faith is your foundation. It's how you begin to follow Jesus. You receive the spirit by faith. Faith was the foundation for Abraham. It's how he actually initially responded to the call of God. And then he's saying, actually, if you want to be counted among God's people, you'll only do so by faith. And here he's making it very clear that the law is insufficient. And so the good news is that actually Jesus, that Christ frees us and frees them from the curse of the law. Right? They no longer have to live under the curse of the law because Jesus hasn't become cursed for them. Paul's in some ways just reiterating the gospel to them. Right? You're only going to receive this by faith. You're only going to enter into the kingdom by faith. Now let me remind you what it is that Jesus has done that you need to receive by faith. He's saying you're only going to get in if you understand and receive that Christ has freed you from the curse of the law. Paul is wanting them to ask the question, why have we decided to put ourselves back under the law when actually Christ has already freed us? He's already set us free. And I would love to say that you and I don't ever do this. I would love to say that you and I never struggle with this. That we never struggle with hearing the gospel, receiving it by faith, and then instead creating a whole bunch of rules that we have to follow that will prove that we are good enough to Jesus. I would love to say that, but that would not be true, and I try not to make it a habit to lie from the pulpit, right? No, what is true is that oftentimes we do that very thing. We receive the gospel by faith, and then we create structures and rules for ourselves that will prove to Jesus that we are enough. And so we are not that different than these Galatians. We're not that different in the fact that we like to move towards a desire to justify ourselves. And this is, this is scandalous, right? This is what Paul is saying to the Galatians, what he is trying to stress to them. If we were to boil it down and sum it up, is that you will never be able to earn your way into the kingdom. And that your only hope is that Jesus has already earned it for you, and you can put your faith in him and be welcomed in. Right? That's summing up the gospel at its very core, right? But this is a scandalous message. Not just to them, it's a scandalous message in our DNA, Right? Think about you walk into any home goods store, Hobby Lobby or World Market or Home Goods or whatever. You walk into these stores and what do you see? You see lots of these prints that are all uh, very large to be hung on your wall. And oftentimes they have these very, what feel like very nice sayings. You know, you are enough. And you go, I like that. I am enough. I'm going to put that on my wall. Right? 
We, I mean, listen, again, nothing that we, have, we haven't done, right? We have one in our house that says, the world needs you to be just who you were made to be. And you go, that's right, they do. <laughs> like, they need me. The world needs me to be me. That's what the world, that is not what the world needs. Okay, the world does not need me to be me. The world needs Jesus to save them from their sins, right? But in our day and age, this is a common kind of cultural thing that we talk about, that, that you're enough, that the world just needs you to be who you are. And there's some truth in these things, right? Like, I believe that, we, that, that each individual is valuable and that each individual is worthy of love. These are things that are inherently true because God has made us as people, his image bearers. But the reality is that I'm not enough. I'm not enough. I will never be able to follow this, this word of God well enough to prove to him and to justify myself. I'm not enough. The world needs more than just me at my best. Those of you who know me well know that. The world needs more than that. The world needs a Savior who has come and has died and has set us free from the curse of the law. That's what the world needs. But in our day and age, when you say these things, this can still feel scandalous. And I know from personal experience, and I just know the reality of even many of us who show up at church every week, I imagine there are some of you here this morning who are going, I'm just not doing enough. You showed up this morning going, I'm just not doing enough. And I want to say, first and foremost, I have some bad news. That you are correct. That you are not doing enough. That you showing up here week in and week out, and you serving on a serve team, and you setting up, and you leading worship when your four-month-old doesn't sleep, and those things are not enough. I'm going to make an important caveat here. Please keep doing those things, because Nick will be very upset with me if you all go, Joel said I don't have to do anything anymore, right? Those things are important, but they are not enough. They're not enough for us to earn salvation. They're not enough for us to justify ourselves in the sight of God. And so the bad news is that you're right, you're not doing enough. The good news is, though, actually what you need to do this morning is just respond in faith to God and say, Jesus, you've already done enough for me. And I want to serve you, and I want to follow you, and I want to be called in. I mean, notice that Paul never tells them to stop doing things here, right? But he tells them that those things that they're doing will not justify them. And actually this morning, if you're sitting here going, I'm just not doing enough. God's probably not happy with me. He's probably disappointed in me. He's probably upset that I'm not, I'm not doing more, that I'm not doing better. That sin that just like kind of keeps popping up, you go, oh, man, God's probably so displeased. He's probably so disappointed. You kicking that habit, you kicking that addiction is not going to prove to God that you're enough. And so this morning, I want to encourage you, respond by faith that he's already done enough, that he's done more than enough for you. And I think when we fall into this trap, when we fall into the trap like the Galatians had, where we begin to add things to the gospel, when we begin to believe that we can justify ourselves, we do a couple of things. And I want to share a brief story of my own life to illustrate how this works out, because I think oftentimes it's not in overly, um, it can be a kind of a, a, a subversive thing. It can be a thing that we don't even notice in our own lives that we're doing. 2005, the fall of 2005, I was a freshman at Biola University. I had grown up in a family of faith, and we had kind of been in and out of church. 
We were uh, nominal attenders of church, uh, but a family that really did believe in Christ and had a real faith. And I found myself knowing a lot of things about God. I think even in an intellectual way, I had chosen that I believed those things about God, and I had chosen to trust those things about God. But the fall of 2005, as a freshman at Biola University, I felt like I encountered the person of Jesus for the first time. Where it wasn't just a set of ideas, it wasn't just an intellectual uh, assertion that I believed. No, no, I encountered a person of Jesus, the person of Jesus. And, and it was life-changing. And it was mind-blowing. And it was like Scripture had gone from like black and white to like, I mean, I say that, I didn't live when there were black and white TVs, but like, it felt like <laughs> Scripture had gone from black and white to color. Like all of a sudden, all of this just made sense. And in the same kind of season of life, I feel like God called me, and I still feel like God spoke quite clearly and called me, to serve overseas and to do full-time missions work. I feel like I had encountered the person of Jesus, and I felt like he had commissioned me and said, go. And I was passionate about this call to go. I loved it. I was excited, and I was like, I'm going to go, and I'm going to change the world for you, Jesus. You've changed my life, and I'm going to change the world, and it's going to be amazing. And I still am passionate about that call to go, um, though I am here and have been here for 14 years at, at Southlands. I'm still passionate, saying, God, one day won't I go? Won't you send me? But what I realized over the years was that I began to evaluate whether or not I was justified and I would say that the reason that I was justified was because I was willing to go. It became the means by which I evaluated how I was doing with Jesus. Jesus, I'm good. I'm good with you. I'm good enough. I've proven myself to you because I'm willing to give away everything and go. And so I fell into this trap where I began to justify myself. It wasn't a bad. It wasn't bad stuff. Right? It was just no, no. Actually, the way that I knew that I was enough for God was not because I put my faith in Him but it's because I was willing to do X, Y, and Z things for him. And I believe that me being willing to do those things actually meant that God loved me and that he was proud of me and that he was actually pleased with me over others, right? So the first thing I think when we fall into this trap, like the Galatians, we begin to justify ourselves. And it may be simple things. It's oftentimes good things, right? I don't think that God is saying, hey, Joel, that call in the nations was a bad thing. No, but actually how I began to walk in that and how I began to find my identity and my purpose and my, my connection to God solely through that I think was an unhelpful thing. And so this morning you might be sitting here going, hey, this ministry that I'm a part of might be a great thing. I just want to pray for people and, and I know that I'm good with God because all I want to do is pray and why don't other people want to do this? It might be, oh, well, I'm willing to foster and adopt and care for vulnerable children. And so you go, I'm good with God because I'm willing to do these hard things for him. And we begin to fall into this trap where we justify ourselves. We somehow believe to tell ourselves, we begin to tell ourselves like, no, no, I'm good. I'm good with Jesus because I'm willing to do these things. But at the same time, we don't just justify ourselves. We tend to disqualify others. And that was the flip side of what I began to do when I felt called to the nation's. I began to look around at people in my life, and I began to evaluate whether or not they 
really loved Jesus and trusted Jesus based on whether or not they were willing to go to the nations. Right? I begin to look at people in my life and go, oh, well, whew, not willing to go to the nations, huh? Man, I just, I just wish you loved Jesus. Right? Like that, and, and maybe I'm the only one, but I think we do this, right? These things that we become so passionate about that God calls us the good works, right? Second Timothy, that we would be equipped by Scripture for every good work. These good works become things that we actually allow to, like, build barriers between us. And we go, oh, well, don't want to go to the nations. I guess you just really love stuff. <laughs> These are real thoughts that I had, right? Like, I'm not... I'm not saying I'm overly proud of them, but they are real, right? My own family, my own brother, who has a, he's a successful, very successful accountant, and I remember being like, man, if he just loved Jesus enough, he'd be willing to give it all away and go. And so what I did was I didn't just justify myself by this call to go to the nations. I began to disqualify everyone else around me. And the only people who seemed to really be good enough or the only people who really seemed to really love God, in my understanding, were those who were, like, getting on a plane to go, and I want to say this morning, I think some of us probably are sitting in that, right? Because we, we all have this tendency to slip back into this. Where you, maybe you're saying, yeah, I think I'm good enough because I'm involved in that ministry. Because I pray. Because I show up here at Mercy Commons every Sunday. I'm here every week. I'm on a setup team. I'm here before everyone else. Right? And you look around. You go, I'm willing to lead a life group. You call them life groups? Yeah. We've just changed it to community groups. I'm still trying to adjust to that change. 14 years of life groups is going to be a slow painful process for me to call them community groups. Um, but you go, I'm willing to lead a life group. I'm willing to show up early. I'm willing to serve. And you begin to look around, and you're on the serve team every week, and you're here setting up, and you're going, man, I just wish people cared enough. Why don't they just love Jesus more? Why don't they love Jesus enough to show up here early to set up? And these are things that we begin to do. And we begin to add these things to the gospel like the Galatians had. It's not circumcision for us. But it's these other things that you've got. Hey, hey, if you follow Jesus, you got to do these things to show us that you do it. Hear me. These things are, are good. I believe that when God calls us, that he wants us not just to sit here idly and say, I believe in you, God. I got faith. I believe that he wants us to be equipped by his word to walk in these good works. So showing up here every week is a good thing to set... Showing up here early to serve and to set up is a good thing. But we cannot allow these things to become things that divide us. We can't allow these things to become things that actually uh, build walls around it where we're disqualifying others in the body saying, hey, if they just love Jesus more, they lead a life group. The reality is all of us have to pull back and say, no, no, no. What we need more than anything else is what Jesus has already done. What we need more than anything else is what he's already accomplished, that he has set us free from the curse of the law. And that by faith we approach him. And then we say because of that we are justified, because we put our faith in Christ, we're hidden in him, in him. And then we can say, hey, you know what? I can trust that just as I put my faith in Jesus and he's asked me to do this thing, that he's going to ask Sean to do something. He's going to ask Neil to do something. He's going to ask Sean Buell to do something. He's going to ask Mitch or Patrick to do something. And it might look different than what I'm doing, but that's okay. Because actually the thing that justifies us, the thing that unites us, is not what we're doing. It's in the person that we put our faith in. And so we're going to land, and I want to pray for us, but I want to I challenge you a bit this morning, Mercy Commons. 
Where have you begun to justify yourself? What's the thing that you begin to hang your hat on? And you say, oh, God's pleasing me because I, I do this. God's pleasing me because I do that. And actually this morning, I'm willing to take that thing down and lay it down. And actually say, Jesus, I just want to approach you in faith. Just faith in who you are and what you've accomplished is enough. Why don't you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you are enough for us. That you are a good father, that you are loving and that you are kind. And that you have set us free from the curse of the cross, God. The curse of the law. That on the cross, that you broke the chains that held us in bondage by the curse of the law, that we were never enough, that we were never going to be enough to earn our way into your kingdom, God. But on the cross, you have purchased us by your blood. And Jesus, this morning, we just want to approach you in faith and say, Jesus, you are enough for us. You are enough for us, God. And Lord, we want to receive you in faith. We want to receive your spirit by faith. You haven't chosen to love us because we're so good or because we're so kind or because we're so impressive. You've chosen to love us because you are so good, because you are so kind, because you are so generous. And we want to receive that this morning, Jesus. We want to trust in you this morning, Jesus. We want to walk in what you've asked us to do, God. We want our lives to look like we've been shaped by you. But we know, Jesus, that we are justified by faith alone in the work that you've already done on the cross, Jesus. We praise you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.